Welcome to the Inventory Nation podcast, a show designed to bring you the incredible voices and stories of veterinary professionals coast to coast, all while helping you to manage and control your inventory. I'm your host, Nicole Clausen, coach, advisor, and champion for veterinary teams and their inventory. Joining you live from the mountains of Montana, welcome to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Inventory Nation podcast. In this episode, I am so excited and thrilled to be joined by Bree Stenstrom, RVT. She graduated from Douglas College and successfully passed her VTNE in 2017 to become an RVT. Brianna has spent time the last three summers rescuing, rehabilitating, and releasing marine mammals such as harbor seals at the Vancouver Aquarium's Marine Mammal Rescue Center. In the winter months, when seal pupping season has come to an end, she focuses her time in small animal medicine at a busy practice located in downtown Vancouver. Brianna also spent an early part of her career as the only RVT at a local zoo caring for the entire animal collection of 150 plus animals. In her spare time, she puts a lot of focus on her two rescue pit bull type dogs from San Bernardino. <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> Something like that. One of who is actually deaf. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yes, of course. My pleasure. Okay, so I think you just might have one of the coolest jobs on the planet. So tell us your story. How did you get started in veterinary medicine? Um, so I knew from a young age that I wanted to work with animals. Um, I think I can like remember as far back as like seven years old. Um, I was super obsessed with the ocean and just the unknown, um, and all the animals that we don't necessarily get exposed to. Mm-hmm. So from a young age, I wanted to be a marine biologist and then doing further research in high school. Um, I found that there weren't a lot of jobs and the pay was so-so and there's lots of competition. So um, I searched out and found veterinary medicine and I started in an animal emergency clinic as just a vet assistant and I was kind of trained up from there. And then I went to school and uh, yeah, here we are (laughs) three years, three years uh, as an RBT now. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing career. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's super funny because actually that's very similar to my path. So when I was growing up, I like desperately wanted to be a marine biologist. Like I, so I grew up like in the Seattle, Washington area, right on the Puget Sound. Um, And so like, I wanted to be a marine biologist and I was like so disheartened when I found out the same thing as you, as that they aren't really paid very well. There's not a lot of jobs out there and it's super competitive. So I was like, well, I don't think that's going to work out so well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the total opposite with veterinary medicine. Like I can go anywhere in British Columbia and I can get offered a job like no problem. So that's that's awesome. So um, how did you start then working with marine mammals? Like what was that kind of transition and how did that happen? Um, So Getting into the Vancouver Aquarium is kind of all about who you know um, mm-hmm. or if you've done previous volunteer experience. They kind of want to bring inside people in. 
just because I guess, you know, with, with trust and, you know, you've kind of already built a little bit of a relationship then in that sense. Um, and so I had met uh, someone on my practicum in my final semester of school. And I had also known like mutual friends um, that had also worked there too. So essentially that was kind of my in, um, but I knew right from school and like the reason why I was going to school was so I could work with marine mammals. So I lucked out in that sense, um, getting hired as a brand new tech right out of school and the learning curve there, because they don't teach you any of this in tech school. You get mostly exposed to small animal, right? So um, the learning curve was insane. And you don't even really get much exposure exposure to wildlife medicine either. So it's a completely different ballgame than what I was used to. And I was so excited just to soak up as much knowledge as I could as fast as I can. Yeah, I definitely think there has to be said for like your skill set and just everything you're able to do that you were hired like right out of school to work with marine mammals. Like that really speaks to, I think, who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I worked so hard. I put in so much time and effort. Uh, in school and even prior to school, just even reading up on books and marine mammal medicine, um, and just to get that job right out of school, I'm I'm so blessed. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there is a little bit of blessed, but a whole lot of hard work in there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So what kind of cases do you see? Like, I want to know, like, what do you do with the animal? Like, what? Tell me all about it, because I'm so curious. So um, cases that we commonly see, we mostly work with harbor seals. Um, Our seal pupping season starts in Vancouver around beginning, middle of May. um, And then it turns into uh, what we call wiener season. So um, when seals are being weaned from their mums, uh, that comes in around uh, August when they're about five weeks old. Um, So the cases that we see with harbor seal pups um, especially premature pups, uh, which we call lanugos, is because they have this fluffy, fuzzy hair all over their body, which normally they lose in utero. And usually when mom pops out a pup like that, <laughs> seal moms are not the greatest. Um, they are prey animals, so they kind of only worry about themselves. They're pretty solitary as well. So once mom pops out a premature pup um, or a pup with lanugo, they generally abandon it. And then a member of the public will give us a call. We'll monitor it for a little bit before we go in and rescue it. And usually when they come to the rescue center, um, they've been without mom for several hours and, and young pups require feedings quite frequently. So we see a hypoglycemic shock um, we've even seen cases of posted herpes. Um, we even have just cases where <laughs> um, with with eye issues from animals being like from other animals on the beach, like eagles uh, swooping down, pecking at a seal. So we see lots of cases like that. Um, hypoglycemic shock is kind of our our main uh, case that we generally see. We have a drug protocol um that is called dread so it's dexamethasone rosefin exceed and then plus minus uh 10% dextrose okay. which is kind of what we give and that usually brings them back from the dead <laughs> hopefully um yeah. it's and then it usually once we give that it's kind of like a waiting game essentially so yeah those oh, are wow. kind of common cases so Okay, a whole bunch of questions around this. 
<laughs> so when they come into the center, like how are like how do you like keep them there? Do you, like what kind of supportive care? Like do they get kind of once they come into you? What does that look like? Um. So once I bring a seal back to the center, we get a weight on it, and we move them into quarantine. They go into quarantine for fourteen days. Um, longer if we find that they have some sort of infection like uh, pox. Um, so they're in quarantine for 14 days. Their first 48 hours there, the first 24 at least, is kind of like a chill day. They get weighed and then they get put on the feeding list. Um, and how much we feed them is kind of based off their weight. And they get fed um, a formula called Milk Matrix, which is just consists of like this powder that has tons of vitamins and minerals in it for them, along with salmon oil um, and essentially just water. And they get gavaged. So we gavage feed them uh, five times a day. And our hours run from 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. at night. So it's kind of evenly spaced out like that. Sure. Um, and then after the 24 hours is up, the next day we come in, we do a complete exam on them as techs do that. Um, and we collect blood from um, the epidural sinus in like L1, L2 lumbar kind of thing. Um, and we just send it off to IDEX for a general panel. And then from there, we determine if they need to go on any antibiotics um, or need any further kind of support. Um, calcium is a big thing that we take a look at as well because that can be a huge identifier for focid herpes. Okay. Um, and then kind of from there, we monitor them throughout their whole quarantine process, check their teeth daily, make sure that their teeth are coming in, because if they have teeth coming in, then they can be weaned onto fish. Um, we check their wounds, umbilical incisions, um, or um, umbilical uh, wounds, basically. They get betadine. And if it turns into an infection, then they get put on antibiotics for that as well. Uh, so we do essentially 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. We're go, 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 go. Yeah. And we couldn't do it without uh, many practicum students and volunteers because it's usually just two veterinary technicians on at a time. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you definitely have your hands full. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, that was going to be my next question. I'm like, how and where do you draw blood from a seal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when they're, when they're just little babies and skinny like that, it's really easy to go into the epidural sinus. I mean, you're just feeling for the lumbar vertebrae, but it's otherwise a blind poke. When they uh-huh. get fat, <laughs> we sit on them and we, um, we pull blood from just the plexus of capillaries in their hind flippers. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if that was probably, that was kind of like where it, you pull it from when they get really big. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise we'd need like a spinal needle and it's just completely blind poke at that point. You're not feeling for any vertebrae at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like, what do you, it's like, you know, trying to find a vein on an ottoman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so do you see what other kind of like animals come into the center? Is that mostly just seals or do you kind of see like the occasional different species? So we usually get about 150 harbor seals annually. Um, we also get, we've been getting more novelty cases in. Um, recently we've had a lot of sea lions in um, and a lot for us can be like two to three on site. Even one can be a lot, especially if they're an orphan pup. Mm-hmm. Um, we get sea otters. We have a sea otter mm-hmm. pup currently in care, um, and he gets 24-hour care, and uh, he will be deemed non-releasable since pups are usually with their mom for at least the first year of life learning um, um, just basic sea otter things like grooming. 
Um, and we can also care for cetaceans like porpoises and dolphins. We were even um, set to care for uh, one of the southern residents, uh, one of the southern resident killer whales when she fell ill, but unfortunately we were unable to find her. Oh, so we yeah. can care for a wide range of animals. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that was such a heartbreaking story. I um, yeah. Orcas are like one of my near and dear favorite species. Um, and so I followed that story and that was just, that was a pretty heartbreaking situation for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> I know. And I mean, like our vets um, put in so much effort to try to save her. And um, it was, it was kind of like day by day. And it was kind of mm -hmm. trying to figure out also when do we fully um, pull her from her pod before she gets too ill. So it was like a fine line. And right. we also had to get obviously um, certificates to do that from Department of Fisheries and Oceans. And yeah, so it was a lot that went into it. Yeah. So for any a little background for any of the listeners, so the, um, the Southern resident um, orca population, they're kind of like, in the Puget Sound, British Columbia, that whole area, and their numbers are dwindling, um, and they are like racing the clock against extinction. So um, there's this very, very beautiful group of orca whales that are in big time trouble. So thank you for doing, you know, your part and helping to save them because I can't imagine a world without them. Yeah, it'll be a, a huge loss. I mean, when you take out an apex, an apex predator in the ocean, um, your food chain tends to crumble. So yeah, um, I can't imagine a world without them. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like they're just kind of like pillars of the culture and the heritage there. And I mean, mm. like you can't go. I mean, at least I know, like in the Seattle area, you can't go like ten feet without seeing some kind of tribute to orcas and um so yeah um so what are some of your favorite animals that you've ever worked with like what are your favorites um <laughs> so i have developed a love for reptiles actually and i think that comes with working at the zoo um a small animal clinic that i started working out of straight after school um the doctor there saw pretty much anything as well and i got to work with a couple snakes um oh. which i thought was really fun um yeah. I've also really enjoyed working with um, some of the, the black bear cubs at uh, the zoo that I worked for. Um, and I loved working uh, with a stellar sea lion, a male stellar sea lion that we had admitted to uh, MMR back in, I think it was 2018 in the fall. Um, he was massive, um, despite being like a thousand pounds underweight. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So how much do they weigh and how big are they? Like if they were like nose to flipper, I guess, or tail flipper, mm -hmm. how, how, like how long are they? How tall are they? Long? How long are they? I think they can grow upwards to about 10, 10 feet ish. Um, oh, but I mama. know that the males grow up to about 2000 pounds and the females grow up to about 800 pounds. Wow. Those are yeah. some big. <laughs> Boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really intimidating when you have to go in like a 12 foot by 12 foot hospital enclosure with them to give them sub Q fluids too. So that's kind of, uh, <laughs> you have to be quick with that. Do they ever, do any of the animals like ever get aggressive or are they just not, not feeling so well that it, it kind of works out? 
Um, it kind of, yeah, I mean, his, his name was Yuki. Um, we dubbed him Yuki because we rescued him from Yukulit. Um, uh, he suffered from gunshot wounds, actually. And oh. uh, it, which we're starting to see more frequently now in our marine mammals along the West Coast here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, he got aggressive. He eventually learned what we were doing when we would skin tent him and give him sub fluids. And he would immediately react to that despite not being fully there and coherent Um, and he he would even put like um, almost like metal slots through the chain link fence so he couldn't come back and like get to me but he did um, snap one of the metal slots in half Uh, yeah (laughs) I got out of there very fast (laughs) yeah I'm sure that you probably are starting to see more gunshot wounds to them because I can't, it's like hard for me to follow this legislation just because it's like hard for me to stomach, but are they, are people and like fishermen allowed to shoot um, some of them right now? Have they, did that ever pass? Um, Here in, in BC, it's illegal to harm a marine mammal. Um, it's even illegal to disturb them, uh, touch them, pick them up in any way, shape or form. You can get up to like a $10,000 fine. Um, so no, it's not legal. Um, and I believe fishermen are obviously doing it because these animals are going after their fish that they catch. Um, and it's easy, it's easy for the animals to catch. And then it's easy also for the fishermen to just go ahead and shoot them because that's the fish that the animals after it's their livelihood. Right. So, Um, the unfortunate thing is though, is (laughs) they're not killing them because they're washing back up on shore, um, extremely sick. And by the time we got to Yuki, he had probably been sick like that for at least two, three months. Um, because like I said, he was actually not even a thousand pounds. I believe he was around 800 pounds. So uh, severely underweight. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he had severe parasite infection. And uh, because mm-hmm. of the gunshot wounds where they shot him, it went into his mouth. Um, and so he was unable to actually close off his like nasal passages when he would dive down. So he was also drowning too, technically, when he would dive. Ugh. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, illegal to do so in BC. Yeah, so um, I have been watching in Washington and like Oregon, they're thinking about it. The pinnipeds? Yeah, they're also known as pinnipeds. Yes. There was like, they were considering like, okay, do we need to like put like some kind of like, oh, you can shoot them to like save the fish population. So uh, there's just been discussion about that. So I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, and there's been lots of research that has come out that has um, shown that actually uh, harbor seals, their main food source is not Chinook salmon, which is the main food source of the southern resident killer whales. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, they will still eat Chinook salmon. They are opportunistic eaters, um, but they ha- they prefer like herring, for example, over yeah. Chinook. Um, and they are not the reason we are seeing the decrease in Chinook salmon population. Um, it's going back, like science and research is actually uh, going back to the fish farms uh, here yeah. in BC, especially. So that totally that's one of the main declines in, in the Chinook salmon. Ugh. The whole situation just breaks my heart like wide open. Ugh. 
So have there been any particular patients over the years that have like really stuck with you? Any like cases that, you know, you just, that are always be like in your heart? So when I first got to the rescue center, my very first day there, I got to feed Senor Senko. Um, mm-hmm. He was a gunshot victim as well. And he was a California sea lion. Um, and he had already been with them for about a month. And um, he was like the gentlest boy ever. Um, since he was shot, he was blinded because um, it severed his optic nerve. So we'd call him over. He knew his name. He goes, Senor Cinco. He'd come over uh-huh. to the fence and we'd feed him through the fence. And um, he just forever will be in my heart. Even I go to the aquarium now to visit him. And I always say, Senor Cinco. And he perks his head up and he'll bark. <laughs> love him <laughs> oh, that is so sweet yeah. and he's, he's doing really well um despite him not being able to see our trainers have been able to work around that aspect um I believe he's currently in with some of the non-releasable harbor seals as well so he has some friends um and he's living a really good life <laughs> senior yeah. Cinco has a good life yeah <laughs> he sounds like such a sweetie yeah, he definitely is. <laughs> so let's talk about working then at the zoo that you mentioned. So you had to care for over 150 plus animals. What was that like? Um, 150 plus animals to care for is a lot to have on your plate. Yeah. Um, especially when the veterinarian is not actually on site either. Um, he's at a, a location uh about 10, 15 minutes away. <laughs> so, um, and he'd also do small animal medicine too. So trying to get in contact with him at times is a little bit difficult in case of an emergency. Um, so I always had to kind of think outside the box um, mm-hmm. and do what I could in my limit. Um, so yeah, and having zookeepers constantly uh, call you down to the enclosure, just take a look at an animal. Like my, my zookeepers that I worked with, were incredible they made my job a lot easier that's for sure because they knew the animals really well like a lot of them had been there for like 10 to 12 years so something that might seem a little bit abnormal to me they're like no like he like this animal was diagnosed with xyz back years ago so Mm -hmm. um having to like learn the history of each and every animal too uh was a lot (laughs) yeah so what type of animals did you care for? Was it like everything from like little teeny tinies to like big giant creatures or what did you kind of care for? Yeah. So I, in my hospital alone, cause we're, they were currently doing renovations on the zoo. So they were switching around enclosures. Um, so in my hospital, I had a troop of squirrel monkeys. Um, I had uh, reptiles. I had Pandora, the alligator. Um, I even had over in quarantine some terrapins. And we even had goats at one point because they go through a 30-day quarantining process. I even had an ostrich in there too. Um, oh, so that was kind of like <laughs> directly what I was taking care of um, when I wasn't needed out on the field. Um, but I cared for uh, the hippos, which was really cool. Haven yeah. and Hathina. Um, they uh, were dealing with some wounds at the time. Um, so I would have to go down there and, and clean them up. Um, and sticking my hand inside of a hippo wound um, and knowing that they could turn around in any second and pull me into the enclosure was 
definitely exhilarating, actually. <laughs> yeah, that would, I think, definitely get your blood pumping because they're like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they weren't small wounds, um, but they weren't anything that like also needed to be stitched up because hippos actually heal really, really easily and nicely. Kind of just like pigs mm. in a sense. They heal easily and nicely. So, yeah. Yeah. And you would think, I don't know, like I've never like felt hippo skin, but it looks like it would be like kind of the skin that's like extremely hard to like give any kind of like closure to. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely no um, stretch to it at all. Um, it kind of feels just like leather. <laughs> yeah, just kind of like is what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think you might have like the dream job, dream career of quite a few of our listeners. So do you have any advice for other veterinary professionals who are interested in working with either marine mammals or in zoos or aquariums? Um, so my advice would be put yourself out there, volunteer, get your foot in that door. Even if you're like having to do janitorial jobs for the time being, it just gives you an in um, with a zoo or an aquarium itself. Um, and don't be afraid to be persistent either and like reach out and be nosy and introduce yourselves yourself to other people uh, working there. And in your spare time, just pick up a book if you're bored and, and read up on uh, whatever animal you're interested in at the zoo or the aquarium. It'll kind of give you just a little added edge then. Sure. Absolutely. Do you have any like recommended resources that you've always loved or found helpful for kind of like building a knowledge base around, you know, kind of taking care of wildlife versus companion animals? Yeah, so um, I had purchased, uh, it's like a marine mammal medicine um, textbook, and I think it's like close to a thousand pages. It's massive. You can find it on Amazon. Um, it can be a little bit more pricey, though, just because uh, it's obviously a very specific book, um, but it's mm -hmm. well worth the purchase. It covers every marine mammal you can possibly think of. Um, yeah. And as far as uh, zoo medicine goes, uh, I read a lot of resources at the zoo. I can't remember any of the textbooks off the top of my head, but I even was nosy too with the animal care manager. Um, I just sit down and ask her questions about animals, you know, just basic stuff like vitals, uh, just so I can learn as well too. Because it's, it's all a learning process when you're straight out of school and going into a field like that. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like it would still be a learning process, even if you had been like out of school for like 10 years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking time on your day to chat with us. It was so much fun and such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inventory Nation podcast and spending your time with me. I know your time is valuable and in short supply, so it truly is an honor. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or leave a review. Be sure to visit vetlogic.co slash podcast to access the show notes and discover additional links and resources. See you next time.